Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess. Thank you for joining me again today. It is my second podcast of the day and we're going to continue the episode of um, History of Islam. It's an absolute honor to have you. I hope you have a paper and pen ready because we're going to get right into the podcast today. So we talked uh, in the last, we started the last uh, podcast with the History of Islam. We we stopped where Muhammad makes his last trip to um to Medina, um, sorry, to Mecca uh, after his pilgrimage. He comes back and basically he falls sick and passes away. And uh, we're going to get down back to it from, from there. So historical sources say he wanted to write, Muhammad wanted to write something before he uh, he, he passed away, but his followers, the Ansar and Umar, did not want him to do, saying that they have the Quran. It was his grandsons who came up to him to comfort him and his son-in-law Ali who spent the last hours with Muhammad. Uh, Muhammad passes away after giving instructions to Ali and a very unhappy and distraught man. Thus we come to this junction, the family feud of the Quraysh clan that we talked about in the beginning of this chapter, a feud that now really blows out into out of proportion. There are two groups of people who are responsible for Muhammad's dead body. The Sahaba, also known as the companions of Muhammad, who were the first to convert to Islam, and the Ansar. And the second group were the Ansar, who were the inhabitants of the city of Medina, who took Muhammad and his followers into their homes where he migrated when he migrated to Yatra. Then of course we have Muhammad's family. Muhammad left no will nor any transcripts of the Quran, says Islamic history. Hence, there were tussle for leadership and his new and relatively small Islamic family uh, fought for uh, the scraps, so to speak. Each one wanted to be a successor, or as we have come to know, the caliph, meaning successor. The caliph would also be the leader of the small Muslim community. He assumes the same functions as the pope in Christianity. The Prophet died on a Monday, but was buried on a Wednesday, which is considered abnormal in the Arabic tradition, more due to the Arab desert heat than any religious reasons. So why did the Arab Bedouins take so long to bury the most important man in Islam? Well, if you have the answer to this question, you would have the answer to the so-called religion of peace, or maybe not so peaceful. As a quick footnote, the Prophet Muhammad who is said to have spent the last 10 years of his life raiding caravans, robbing, pilfering, having sex with sex slaves, died a simple man in his small mud home with practically no belongings. He died a simple but a beautiful nomad. A tussle for leadership of the new Islamic community would lead to counsel between his followers and companions of the Shura. A heated tug-of-war where each side wanted their man to be in charge. He was was finally a man called Abu Bakr. It was finally the man called Abu Bakr who was chosen, Muhammad's closest companion. Uh, um, The first of the four caliphs, also known as the Rashidun caliphs or the rightly guided caliphs. So Abu Bakr, the first caliph, uh, Muhammad's closest companion lasted only two years. He died under mysterious circumstances. Then he nominated Umar as the second caliph on his deathbed. 
The second Caliph Umar was killed by a member of the Persian Empire, a captured Persian soldier, in 644 AD. Uh, the third caliph, Uthman, was elected by, again by a council of electors chosen by Umar from a marginalized group. He was assassinated in 656 AD. He was succeeded by Ali ibn Ali Abi Talib, uh, the fourth son-in-law of Mah the fourth caliph and the son-in-law of Muhammad, and from the same clan of the Banu Hashim. Ali's rule lasted five years and faced a major turbulence twice what is in including what is termed as the first civil war of Islam, better known as the Fitna. The civil war between two rival factions, those who supported Udwan's cousin, the governor uh, of the Levant, against his supporters, Ali. He was assassinated while praying in a mosque. Uh, his followers today from, form the minority Shia Muslims in the world. Shia, uh, Shia or Shiat Ali, or the followers of Ali. The followers of the first three caliphs form the majority Sunni Muslims of the world. Um, thus ended the Rashidun era. After the death of Ali, the caliphate was taken on by a relative of Uthman named Muwayya. He transformed the caliphate, uh, the caliphate into a feudal dynasty or empire which would eventually break up into many parts, terminating in 661 AD. The Caliphate thus continued from 661 AD to 750, known as the um, Umayyad Caliphate or dynasty. It continued from 750 to 1258 AD and from 1261 to 1517 AD uh, under the Abbasid Abbasid Caliphate or dynasty, and later from 1517 to 1924, the Ottoman Caliphate. There were parallel, parallel caliphates in, in between, depending on the region, mostly dynastic feudal kings and Islamic elite ruling class. The most prominent of these were the Fatimid Caliphate from 909 to 1117, sorry, 1171 AD, whose origin comes from the Ismaili Shia Imams, who himself claimed a descent from Fatima, the husband of, uh, sorry, and a husband, um, the Rashidun Caliph Ali, the daughter-in-law, the daughter and the son-in-law of the Prophet. Under the Umayyad Caliphate, run by the sons of Umayyah, or Banu Umayyah, of the same Quraysh tribe of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, but different clan or lineage, the Islamic Empire, the invaded lands from Sindh, modern-day Pakistan in the east to Morocco and Spain in the west. At the height, the empire spanned 11,100 square kilometers. They ruled from Damascus. The Abbasid Caliphate was a third of the Islamic Caliphates, got his name from Muhammad, the uncle, uncle, Muhammad's uncle Abbas, Ibn Abd al-Muttalib. So that was the third caliphate, uh, the second caliphate. The first caliphate was the Rashidun uh, Caliphate, then the Umayyad, then the Abbasid. Um, or should I say the Rashidun, Rashidun Caliphs, not caliphates, but uh, caliphs. Uh, then you have the Umayyad, or descendants from the sons of Umayyad, from the same Quraysh, Quraysh tribe, but a different clan. Then you have the Abbasid Caliphate, started by Muhammad's uncle Abbas, who was also of the same uh, tribe. 
Um, they ruled for their, from their capital. The Abbasid Caliphate ruled from their capital, Baghdad, uh, from 750 AD, and the empire mainly consolidated the terrain left behind by the Umayyad Caliphate. The exception to this dynasty was the Mamluk Sultanate of Cairo. There are also sometimes parallel dynasties which would overlap. Internal conflict would lead to a power struggle where we, one would eventually take over the empire. By and large, Islamic clans and tribes accepted the central authority of the caliphate, even if they existed vassal states. This period produced what is called the Golden Age of Islam, which is urged, which is argued against by many others. The reason being the most of this knowledge was inherited from previous empires, which Islam colonized and therefore um, translated and rebranded uh, the knowledge of the empires of the lands they colonized as Islamic inventions. The last of the caliphates was the Ottoman Empire from 1362 to 924. The Ottomans became the caliphate, the head of the uh, caliphate uh, from 1517 to 924 and was run by Central Asian Turco-Mongols. They came to power during the decline of the Byzantine Empire in Europe, Anatolia, and finally the spread and it spread to Maghreb, but the Ottomans were no different. A corrosive, corrupt Bauhaus who succumbed to infighting, internal strife, corruption and bankruptcy, culminating with their loss in the First World War. The empire was then divided into several mandates by allied powers, resulting in the first death of the, calif the, caliphate, sorry, of the caliphate system of Islam. At its height, the Ottoman Empire stretched from North Africa to Ukraine, to the Balkans, to, the, to Crimea, to Saudi Arabia, and even northern India for a while. Uh, in a weird way, I learned through my research that the British Empire propagated the view that the Ottomans were the, cal were the caliphs, caliphs of Islam, who they supported, thus the Christians living in the Ottoman Empire were to support the Ottoman Caliph, while the Ottomans in return asked the Muslims in British India to support the British rule, so much so for South Asian victimhood. I will again bring the reader to one very important point in understanding Islamic history. Like history all over the world, it's a point of view, not a fact. Each side will interpret events to suit its vested interests. Hence, all Islamic history is written from the point of view of Islam and their holier-than-thou mentality, to cater to its empire. No different from any other pontificating group, ideological, political, or both. Coming back to Muhammad, as mentioned above, does it not sound fishy to anyone that a man so simple, so humble, would, be, would go on to be so violent and barbaric for the last ten years of his life? Over the years of my research, I, would, I could not comprehend. I looked at every single text context from every angle, and I did not make, and I did not make any sense. I resigned myself to saying, "Well, you know, those were the times. It was different back then, and there's nothing we can do about it." But I could not swallow it. It just did not add up. So I told myself, "Either I'm crazy, or Muhammad was crazy." I don't think it's either of us. It's the narrative that's crazy. Look at it again from a different angle and you will come up with a different answer. You just have to understand that currents that form the waves. So here it goes. As per the science, 
Remember, every human being on the planet is an electromagnetic field. This field is this field which makes up our cosmos. That means it is the currents that would produce the waves of Muhammad's life. Muhammad's family were caravan merchants. Some would say even Nabataean merchants, crisscrossing the Arabian desert in a loose confederation of tribes and clans. To be a merchant, one has to come from a long lineage of mer- merchants who have to be a what who have to be good at what you do at the family business. To be good at business, caravan trade, one needs an important quality, dialogue. Dialogue means no violence. It means knowledge from intellectual bonding, stemming from which will come from what we have in modern times called trickle-down economics. More importantly, it does not involve any type of crony submission. So if you look at Islamic history and research Muhammad's youth, you will see the same quality of dialogue. This was the foundation for him for being a successful merchant. As mentioned above, he had great qualities that rendered him to the Meccans and the tribes around the Arabian desert. Muhammad also never swore or cursed at people, something that is normal business practice. On the contrary, Islamic scripture, primary and secondary, are full of swear words on Now, if these are the currents that were the engine and transmission to propel Muhammad forward and create the waves, where did the crony barbaric violence come from? Remember the science, the electromagnetic field does not change according to your whims and fancies, nor can it change anyone change it to suit their vested interests. One cannot change or divert ocean currents, nor can we divert the waves. We have no control over either. It's our currents that form the waves. It it follows the same flow. So how did Muhammad change? Muhammad cannot change. If he was good or of sweet speech when he was young, during his until he was fifty-four, it's not going to change in ten years. For those who say it's God, please know that everything in our galaxy is part of the electromagnetic cosmos. So if you choose to use the parallel of God or Creator, the Creator is the source of that electromagnetic field. It's the laws of electromagnetism that moves us particles around the universe. Nothing will override it. This means only a few things. If Muhammad asked others to read, he could read himself. Nomadic people were taught how to read and write using the sand as written at the writing pad by the women elders of the tribe. So if you want to research ancient uh, uh, Arabic tribes, just go to YouTube and type type Berber, and you will see a lot of Berber videos. Berber are the nomadic people of North uh, Africa, and they're the same all over the uh, Middle East. Their children, they they are Roman tribes, and until the age of seven, uh, they... They roamed, they kept within their tribes, and the children at seven would go with their father, the boys, and the girls would sit at home and learn to run the tribe from their home. And they all learned to read and write. Every child was taught to read and write. They were all literate. And the sand was their drawing board. Um, if he spent 52 years of his life having a dialogue with fellow Arabs, the last 10 years of his life would not be spent raiding caravans, raping women, going to war. The dialogue on the inside would be transferred to the dialogue on the outside and would not have had 
He would not even have to raise a sword, let alone going to war. Now, the same concept if we have... If he was married to one wife for 52 years, how would he have married 11 to 13 in the last 10? He would have married one more, but even that is not sure. Remember, he never has any children after his first wife dies. There is one story that he has another son from, a, from one later spouse, but the child dies pretty early on. One, can, one cannot go from a wife to 13 of one wife to 13. It takes generations to change. If we had multiple wives from early adulthood, I would understand, but not just in 10 years. So Islam did not tell you the, a fact over here. So we are all hear the story. He married uh, a girl, a child of six years old. So you do not go from being married to someone 15 years your senior to then going marrying someone six years of six years of age. Marrying someone your senior means the older person brings a vast baggage of experience and dialogue, a lot of give and take. Muhammad's wife was a caravan businesswoman. You do not need get dialogue from a six-year-old nor nine-year-old. There is no way Muhammad could have changed so drastically. Currents flow, they do not change. If his currents were peaceful for 52 years, the peace would have continued even with his gray hair. Um, even if he if sometimes held a sword to his neck and said, Muhammad, sleep with the child or we, or we will kill you. Look, this guy would have said, kill me, but I'm not going to rape the child. So I don't believe that he ever married someone who was six years old. You have to be violated yourself to carry the trauma. That means you have to be raped in order to continue that rape because your currents and waves, the currents don't change. So your trauma continues. Remember, you attract a, a mirror image of who you are. We're human, we humans are magnets. If Muhammad spent 25 years of, with his wife being attracted to an elderly woman who he loved very much, those currents would have continued and not changed in the last 10 years of his life. The Islamic empire lied again, a total waste of time. Muhammad did not invade any land, nor did he ask anyone to invade foreign lands. Again, he does not spend 52 years of his life uh, having a dialogue and then spend the last 10 years butchering his planet. Uh, Arabic Islam lied one more time to... Um, camouflage their colonial empire. He would not have even attracted violence, so the question of self-defense does not come up. It's your currents that form the waves. Muhammad did not loot any gold or silver from other tribes. He was able to earn his living by caravan trade and with dialogue until 52. He did not need to raid anyone. Remember when he died, he had practically no belongings. Where did the gold go? People who loot live in fancy homes or tents or whatever you want to call it. Muhammad dies almost a pauper. Even if he does not keep the gold and the loot, even if he distributed it, Muhammad would have lived pretty comfortably. His tent was but a small shack. People who loot do not are not good in trade. They loot because they are not able to earn or sustain income honorably. So, what, so they have to cheat and steal and acquire money for food. Muhammad was a successful caravan tradesman. He, need, he never needed to loot anyone. Successful businesses who build their business on values and trust, even if their trade goes down, 
they will take a hit, but they will not break the bonds and family ties they develop over the centuries. Reason? You still need their help to, to, and support to survive in the desert. Islam lies again. Muhammad did not start Islam, nor did he give his authority to form the colonial empire of Islam in his name. Islam is what fuels submission, a product of its times. Can an electromagnetic field bend over and, sub and submit? Someone who asks you to read and empower yourself with knowledge does not ask you to submit, but spread your wings and fly with dialogue, debate, and discussion. Submission is the opposite of empowerment. Once you have knowledge, you can connect the dots. When you connect the dots, there is dialogue. There is no turbulence. There is no turbulence. There's no violence. There's no violence means peace. That is the peace he was talking about. That is textbook electromagnetism. It's also trickle-down economics. So submission is power to a small group of people or the establishment who controls you. Submission is feudalistic ignorance, slavery, attachment to a label or a group. It's rhetoric for people who run the swamp or establishment cartels. Their calling card is silence. You cannot have a voice nor an opinion. You cannot challenge them. You cannot challenge their rhetoric in God. Why? Well, if you do challenge them, you will see that there is no God. It's feudal establishments who want to use your human capital to step on you and suit their vested interests. To get to where they are going, that's textbook Islam. Uh, if Muhammad did not raise his hand for 52 years of his life, he was not going to do so, started 52. Neither would have he have told the Arabs to invade or other lands, plunder, rape, raid, enslave and murder others. Someone has to find me a better scientific argument to explain how you change from 52 years of peace to 10 years of violence. Better still, find me a man in this world who until 52 years never lifts his hand and then goes berserk the last 10 years of his life. So the story of Muhammad told by Islam is absolutely, in my opinion, false. Okay, This man never does any of these things. Any of these things. I do not believe Muhammad has anything to do with Islam. Muhammad had more intelligence on the tip of his little finger than 99% of the people who call themselves Muslims for the last 1400 years. He had too much of knowledge to submit. Um, so who is Muhammad? Muhammad, as the reader would have realized by now, or as you understand, my opinion about Muhammad is completely opposite to the classical Islamic interpretation. There's one concept I left later for purpose, on purpose. Muhammad belongs to the Hashemite clan of the Quraysh tribe. Hashem was his great-grandfather. We are all led to believe that Hashem was a common Arabic name. However, the name Hashem predates Islam. It's a Hebrew name. Remember, Hebrews are Arabs, and until a few hundred years before uh, Islam, they also shared the same cultural background. Hashem is an alternate word for God, literally signifying the name. According to Hebrew tradition, taking the name of your God in vain was a serious offense, or using the name of God to commit wrong wrongdoings was considered sin. There exists specifically a commandment for the same. Thou shalt not take the name of your Lord, your God, in vain. 
Thus, in its place, the Hebrews came up with several words such as El, Eloha, Elohim, Shaddai, Eye, Adonai, Zevot. Hashem was one of the words used and uh, words added and used by Hebrews. As the kingdom of Israel collapsed and the tribes dispersed in all directions, many gave up their Hebrew connection, tired of the infighting and political power struggle within, uh, within he the Hebrews. They're the very same as we do today. Many of us have gone back to being simple nomads. Men, many would have gone back to being simple nomads and caravan merchants, where lands belonged to everyone and no one at the same time. Some joined the loose confederation of the Nabataean merchants. They, some others crossed the desert for trade and commerce. Others just moved from one region to another region, according to the climate change. Very often, however, they kept the same to show their lineage. Uh, they believed in some form of divinity or creator, but were not interested in being a part of the Hebrew madness. Hashem, an alternate name for the divine, would have thus become a very common name to show their love for the creator, but not necessary for a political power struggle of the kingdom of Israel and its various factions, nor the endless hunger for power that were out born out of it. His first name is Muhammad is a Hebrew name. It means one who praises or is praiseworthy. The suffix mu in Arabic signifies the one who. Hamad means the one who praises or one who is praised. It is not found anywhere in the Quran, especially not in the Quran written in the last 1100 years of Islam. The question is, was there any real Muhammad in the first place? For the purpose of this chapter, we will stick to Muhammad the name, and we will discuss it later. Um, so after Islam was formed and the prophets passing away, he was made the messenger of Allah. Hashem became a very common Islamic name. Almost everyone has forgotten, however, where it originated from. A simple reason being is that Islamic establishment has everyone believed that anything that precedes Islam is ignorance, zalaliyah. What is the meaning of a uh, Muslim, of Muhammad, the messenger? Um, was this as the Muhammad, the messenger of Allah, was of Hebrew descent? Although I do not believe that his clan did follow any Hebrew traditions, he would have known the knowledge of, of their history very well. That is why I think his father was buried in Yathrib. It was predominantly a Hebrew oasis. It was also why the money for the first trust uh, or Vak in Islam was given by an Israelite to Muhammad where he moved to the oasis. When he moved to the oasis, if you asked, uh, if you ask any Muslim today where Muhammad was, whether Muhammad was of Hebrew descent, they'll deny it, saying it's a Zionist conspiracy or, or call you an Islamophobe. Um, you will know very well that knowledge of their um, you will know very well the knowledge, what knowledge of history they have. So that's all for today. A little touch on Muhammad. We'll go into tomorrow uh, the balance and see what names Muhammad was called and who invented the story. For now today, I take your leave. I thank you very much. I hope you begin a fantastic day and come and join me again tomorrow. Cheers 
and have a, and stay safe.